In the book of Ruth, we find a story of rather ordinary people doing rather ordinary things in rather ordinary places. But in the midst of all the ordinary, we bear witness to the extraordinary because God is present and active through it all. That is the hope for all of us in this Advent season. Surely God is with us. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Mama never left Hurricane Creek. Until she did, she only left Hurricane Creek because she met Pawpaw, and she followed Pawpaw, where Pawpaw went. That took them out of the state for uh, just a brief period with the military, but then they resettled in Milton, and Mama never left Milton. She was there her entire life. All of her going and all of her coming was there, to the grocery store, to the beauty shop, it was... It was there. She did all of her relational uh, and familial living there. Those ordinary relationships that were a part of her life were all there. Her welcoming of others, sometimes in their most broken and cast-off places, it all happened there. I bring that up, one, because I miss Mama. It's not my Mama, by the way, it's... My wife's mama, but she's my mama. Because if you ever met mama, she was your mama. And uh, I miss her. But also because as I thought about the book of Ruth this week, which is a book all about an ordinary life or several ordinary lives, I thought about her life, which would be considered by many to have been an, an ordinary life. She never really traveled outside of this area. She was only on a plane one time, and that was because she'd gone to West Virginia's beach Myrtle Beach, right? Like that counts as West Virginia still. And she'd gotten sick there and they had to, to fly her back here. It's the only time she was ever on a plane. She lived a very ordinary life. But, but no matter how much we travel, no matter how much time we give to other things or how many adventures we've had in this life, the vast majority of us live rather ordinary lives. Even people that we envy, right? Like maybe their lives seem adventurous and like celebrities or whatever. Their lives are ordinary too. And if we were to live their lives for, you know, six months, we'd be like, this is super exciting. But after six years, it would feel very ordinary because it is just the regular rhythms of life. We have our regular rhythms of life, our favorite activities, our favorite foods, our repetitive relationships, our our jobs, the things that we go and do. And even if we pick up and move, or if we have some life-changing event, which many of us have, we tend to settle back into ordinary routines. That's, that's what it is to be human. So much of our coming and going is ordinary. So welcome to the book of Ruth. Ordinary people living ordinary lives and ordinary places, just like Mama. But Mama's life was extraordinary in the ordinary. There are people who are still saying the things she said. There are people still cooking the meals she cooked. There are people still loving the way she taught people to love. In the ordinary life that she had, 
extraordinary things took place. Because God was with her. That's what I attribute it to, because God was with her. And if you knew Papa or Mama for very long, you knew that God was with her. And if God is with us, and as the children of God, He surely is with us, then the ordinary is the extraordinary in the kingdom of God. Listen, I am so honored to be your pastor, to be one of your pastors, to see the ordinariness of your lives manifest the extraordinary realities of the kingdom of God. I've seen it this week. A weep. It's beautiful. This gift of watching your ordinary lives display extraordinary generosity, extraordinary community, extraordinary comfort for the hurting, extraordinary investment in others. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that I see you. More importantly, I see God with you. Moving and transforming your lives. But also know from my own experience that it's easy to lose sight of the fact that God is with us. It's easy to let the ordinary kind of just slip into just that, being ordinary. Ruth is going to help us with that. As we follow an ordinary life, several ordinary lives, and see the extraordinary work of God in it, we'll be reminded of what I already see amongst us, but lest we forget that with God, right, And we'll see it in these first five verses of Ruth today and as we overview the book of Ruth, that in the ordinary rhythms and relationships of life, surely God is with us. And what we'll see in particular in these verses and in a a few to come, so those first two lines are the whole book of Ruth. In the ordinary rhythms and relationships of life, surely God is with us. And in these first five verses and in a few that will follow next week, we're going to see that this is never more needed than in our suffering. We're going to see that play out today. So, Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So the first part of of overviewing and understanding Ruth is contextually understanding the when. When did it happen? We get that clue in the very first line. It happened in the time when the judges ruled. If you're familiar, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. There's an entire book about this season uh, for the people of God. It happened in real life, in real time, somewhere between the 14th century B.C., when Joshua died, and about the 11th century B.C., when the first king, Saul, uh, was anointed in Israel. There's about a 300-year span of time in which we see uh, these things. It could have happened any time within these 300 years. Beyond that, we don't know exactly when, but this is the time it played out. Now, it's written... Our clue for when it was written is also found in that first line. And the days when the judges ruled is a statement of looking back. Back in the day when the judges ruled. So clearly this was written after that time period. There's a genealogy at the very end, spoiler alert, that alludes to King David. 
And so in that is likelihood that it may have been written during the time of his reign, so possibly the 10th or 9th century B.C., maybe even, even later. Those are just some, some little facts, but, but here, and I think this matters, it goes without saying, this is a very old book. In fact, large chunks of it, almost all of it, was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Do you remember this story years ago? Those little shepherd boys down by the Dead Sea were throwing rocks up into the caves, and they heard something shatter, and they went up there, and they found these ancient documents, and they were actually manuscripts from the Word of God dating back as far as 250 years before Christ. These ancient documents preserved in these kind of vacuum-sealed jars. Ruth was in there. It's an old book. I don't have time to to give you the apologetics of of, uh, Scripture as not only the Word of God, but as the accurate Word of God. But let me just say this. The Bible, God's Word, is historically, intellectually, and archaeologically legit. It is genuinely legit, and you can bring against it a whole host of arguments, but they don't stand weight. This is the Word of God, and Ruth is among it. So know that today. Another interesting thing, right? And this is kind of the nerd sermon every time, because we kind of get some background to these, to these books. But, but if, when Jesus' day, when you read the book of Ruth, this is interesting, if it, the books were ordered differently in the Old Testament, which was all that they had, actually, was the Old Testament canon. It would have come right after Proverbs 31, which talks about this righteous and godly woman. And then you turn the page and you begin to read about righteous and godly women, in particular Ruth, but also Naomi. But what's also interesting now is that you find it between Judges and 1 Samuel in the way we order Scripture, and it bridges this gap between the time of the Judges and the time of the First Kings as it goes all the way to David, we'll find out as we go through the book of Ruth. So that's interesting, to me at least, it might not be to you. The other clue is that it happened during famine. There was a season of great famine, which brings us to the where. We've got maps, if you can see them. That would kind of potentially be the journey that, that Naomi and Elimelech and Milan and Chilion took. It went up around the Dead Sea from Bethlehem, Judah, all the way around to Moab, Moab on the other side of the Dead Sea. And we don't know exactly where in Moab. It's not specific. But they were just in that region there. She could have gone around, they could have gone around below too. It's probably the same distance, right? You can take Route 60 or Interstate 64. You'll eventually get there either way. So they could have gone, they could have gone either way. But that's where they that's where they end up. Just for modern day reference, that's Jordan today. Modern day Jordan is where, is where they took their journey to. The Dead Sea actually and, and all of the, those kind of mountain ranges that you can see there, if you can see that map, they served to, even though they were close geographically, cause very distinctly different weather in those two places. Moab may experience famine at times while, while Israel was, was uh, vibrant and vice versa, and that was the case here. Moab was vibrant, had plenty of rain, plenty of food. Okay. Now to the who. That's the when, that's the where. Now to the who. The man, uh, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Milan and Chilion. Great names, by the way. 
I wish she would have named them Netflix and Chilion. I think that would have been been good. See, I got jokes too. Got maps and jokes. So Milan and Chilion, they were Ephrathites. That was their clan within the tribe of Judah. They were from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. If you skip to verse 4, they took Moabite wives. This is the two sons. And the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Now, this is an overview of the book today. You just met two of the three main characters in the book of, of Ruth. Naomi and Ruth. The major, other major character is a man named, named Boaz, if you're familiar with this story. So Naomi, we'll come to know her today, or in this series, as a wife to Elimelech. We'll come to know her as a mother to Milan and Chilion. We'll come to know her as a mother-in-law to Orpah and Ruth. We'll come to know her as a migrant in Moab. She travels there. That's not her home. To another country, we'll come to know her as a widow. And we know that she's a Jew from the line of, of Judah. What she probably doesn't know yet, unless she's really attuned to prophecy, is that she's part of the royal line through which will come the kings. She probably doesn't know that. We also meet Ruth. Ruth will be, uh, we'll know her as a wife to Milan. We'll know her as a daughter-in-law to Naomi. We'll know her as a migrant in Bethlehem. She's going to go uh, back to Bethlehem at some point. And spoiler alert, she's going to be a mother too. She's a Moabite. That's about all we know about her is that she, we don't know her clan. We don't know her geography. That's where she was. Hear me, this story is primarily about these two women. Primarily, not exclusively, Boaz is going to play a huge role in this story. But this is primarily from their perspective. I've been reading a theologian named Mary J. Evans, uh, her um, commentary on the book of Ruth. She has a lot of interesting quotes or uh, enlightening quotes. She says, the primary interest in the book of Ruth is in the story of Naomi and Ruth and in their relationship. These two's relationship is absolute relationship gold. I mean, it just 100% is. There's no um, cattiness. There's no drama. There's no disrespect. They love each other deeply. They engage each other with kindness. Some of y'all will go to Thanksgiving uh, dinner this w- this week, and you'll experience the opposite of that, maybe among family. Maybe you'll wish Naomi and Ruth were there for Thanksgiving dinner because they were at peace with one another. Doesn't mean they always agreed, but they were always at peace with each other. Absolute relationship gold. Furthermore, this story emphasizes the role of women in the kingdom of God. The place for women in the kingdom of God. The author of Ruth, this is uh, Mary Evans again, is deliberately telling the story from the perspective of women. Allowing their voices to be heard in a way that is not always found in some male-focused narratives. The writer seems to be deliberately emphasizing that women are significant members of the covenant community. What happens to them and how they behave matters. Matters deeply. Hear me say this today with kindness in my heart. 
But there has been, especially in Appalachia, a taking of the biblical doctrine of male headship, which is a biblical doctrine, and turning it into an excuse or a bully's club, right, to to, uh, promote male chauvinism, male domination, this kind of of boys club leadership. You'll see it in the, in churches too. Church leadership tends to be like this boys club. But hear me say this today, and Ruth testifies to this. Women move the kingdom forward. Women move the kingdom forward with their voices, with their presence, with their hands and feet, with their ideas with their contributions, with their leadership, with their writings, with their creativity, with their courage, with their service and submission, and yes, with their resistance. Women move the kingdom forward. Healthy movements, healthy churches will welcome the voices of women into the room. will give women a seat at the table We'll see women serving both on the sidelines and on the field as the kingdom advances. That's the reality. But it isn't women versus men, right? That's not the point of Ruth. Ruth isn't elevating women as like superior to men. Ruth isn't elevating men as superior to women. You're about to meet Boaz as we go through this narrative together, Boaz will know him as an owner and as a boss. We'll know him as a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. We'll know him as husband and father. He's a Jew. He's influential and stable. And what you'll see among all of them is mutual submission one to another. You're going to see them work together, sometimes alternating who initiates, alternating who is in the lead, working together within the true realities that are laid out in Scripture about about, uh, male and female roles, they exist in a deep mutual respect, desiring each other to thrive, desiring each other to win, desiring each other to have opportunities to lead and create and initiate. And it is a beautiful, beautiful relationship that we'll see amongst all three of them. And in all of this, it happens in their ordinary, everyday lives, which brings us to the themes of this book. And I'm excited for them. One theme you'll see through this whole thing is that surely God is with us. He is present with us. God's only mentioned 22 times in the book of Ruth. And only two of those are descriptive uh, verses about who God is or what God has done. The rest of them are all in passing. Like if I told you, oh, we prayed for our meal today, we said God is good, God is great, we thank Him for the food we ate, right? I wouldn't be telling you anything about God, I'd just be telling you that we prayed to God. That's the vast majority of the mentions of God in Ruth. It's strangely silent, the book is, about His character, about uh, doctrine, about who He is or what He does, but He's there in the ordinary. At every turn of the book of Ruth, God is there in the ordinary. You see it play out in in these three sub-themes. He's there in the ordinary rhythms of life. 
He's there in the coming and the going. You're going to see Ruth or you're going to see Naomi go to Moab and back. You're going to see Ruth go to Bethlehem. You're going to see uh, Ruth go to the field to glean and come back. You're going to see uh, Boaz. She goes to Boaz and comes back. Boaz is going to go to the town square and then come back. There's this going and this coming sort of rhythm in the book. Basic, ordinary what about your ordinary living? Does your going and your coming find its value in the fact that God is with you? I can testify the fact that I see it does so often in your lives. But we're also at risk that it doesn't. We're also at risk to grow apathetic to the presence of God in our ordinary living. Right? If, if God is with you at Thanksgiving dinner this week, It'll look one way. But if you're not living aware of His presence and His peace and His sovereignty and goodness at Thanksgiving dinner this week, it'll look completely different for you. Thanksgiving dinner is ordinary. God is with you there. You go to the ball field and God is present with you, then you will find yourself selflessly investing in, in kids or in parents of the other children and, and, uh, or whatever, any number of things that are these beautiful manifestations of the extraordinary realities of God. But if you go to the ball field and you're not aware of God's presence with you, then that can go south really, really quick. You've seen it. You've seen those people, right? In the stands screaming at uh, young children, which I find funny, but I shouldn't um, because those kids are hurt and I need to remember that. But... Uh, that goes way different. God is with us in the ordinary. How is He with you in the ordinary? You're also going to see human and family responsibility play itself out in a lot of really cool ways in the book of Ruth. These ordinary relationships with mother, father, mother-in-law, father-in-law, people in the town square, people in this tight-knit community, and surely God is with us in our ordinary relationships. We're going to see sin there and grace there, by the way, as we go through this book. We're going to see times where, where people don't live aware of that reality and where they, they do. I mean, your role as a, as a sibling, as a child, as a parent, as an aunt, as a cousin, as a friend, will find its deep, deepest meaning if God is with you while you are with them. If you are with them aware of God's presence with you And then last theme we'll see is we're going to see thoughts and actions towards marginalized peoples. In particular, women who were marginalized in this day, sound familiar, and sojourners, foreigners, immigrants from other countries. We're going to see actions towards them that show that some people are not aware that God is present with them. And we're going to see other actions that show that people are aware that God is present with them. We're going to hear names like Tamar. She was a foreigner who was welcomed in to the kingdom of God. Rahab, by the way, is Boaz's perhaps either grandma or great-grandma. If you remember, Rahab was a foreign prostitute in the town of Jericho, and when the walls came tumbling down, only one portion of the walls stood... God saved a woman named Rahab and she comes into the covenant community. 
Boaz is of her line. These are foreigners, marginalized people who have been welcomed in. And you're going to see two women. Two women lead and engage and initiate for the good of the kingdom and for the good of each other. But hear me, you'll never move to the marginalized. You'll never love the marginalized people. You'll never give dignity to women. You'll never give dignity to to people who don't look like you if God is not with you. Not true. You truly won't do those things unless God is with you. But if God is truly with you, the presence of God is felt and known and experienced in your life, then you will be forced to reckon the fact that you, yourself, I myself, were marginalized people who had no business being in the kingdom of God by DNA or worthiness, but we were welcomed in by grace. And if that's your reality, if you're in touch with that reality, then you'll just move as a natural response towards those who are different and marginalized with welcoming. So the point of all this overview, the preaching of it, the connecting to the hearts is be with God. Practice what it means to live in an awareness of God's promises. Read the Bible. Memorize Scripture. These disciplines that sometimes seem so like checklisty are opportunities for us to actually be with God. God is with us. We live in His presence through those disciplines. Prayer, fasting. Gathering together with the people of God. All these things. Practice those things, not as a drudgery, but as an opportunity to be in the presence of God. How are you living day to day in the presence of God's reality? If we are living in that place, then in our ordinary rhythms, we'll know God is with us. In our uh, ordinary relationships, we'll know God is with us. And we'll move towards those who are marginalized because God is with us. So remember that God is with you in the alarm clock tomorrow morning. God is with you in the laundry. God is with you in the union strike. God is with you in the school days. God is with you in every ordinary aspect of your life. And that's never more real or needed for us than in suffering. Those two verses we haven't come to till now. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. Remember verse 4, they get married, right? So she loses greatly. Devastated. Wrecked. Her husband is gone. That wasn't just an emotional loss. That was an economic loss for her too. She lost everything based on the culture that she was in. She still had her two boys. She still had a chance. They marry Orpah and Ruth. Then in verse 5, both Milan and Chilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I preached a funeral last Saturday. I'm going to preach another one this coming Saturday. I'm keenly aware right now 
of the pain of such loss. But I myself have not experienced it directly. I can't relate directly to Naomi in this, but I've seen the pain. I've seen the hurt. I've been very close to it. By God's grace, and it it might sound weird, but I have the opportunity to, to be near that. It educates the soul. Naomi left Bethlehem with a famine in her belly. Now she's got a full stomach. She got a famine in her soul. She's lost everything. Death is ordinary, by the way. Don't hear that the wrong way, like, oh, you shouldn't be afraid of death or you shouldn't uh, mourn death. That's not my point. My point is it comes to everyone. It is an ordinary part of life. Loss is an ordinary part of life. And hear this, loss and gain are not mutually exclusive. They don't only happen at the same time. I had a friend recently celebrated the birth of a daughter. And once his wife was settled in, in the mother and baby room, he left to go sit with his mom who has early onset dementia. Sometimes you hug Brittany's neck last week as she experiences the funeral of her father, and this week you wish her a happy birthday. Sometimes those things happen right behind each other. Loss and pain, loss and gain. Death is ordinary, loss is ordinary, but they are brutal, oh so brutal. But God is with us. God is with us in death. God is with us in loss. God is with us in the brutal ordinary. That's the message of Ruth. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Advent. Don't forget this is an Advent series. This is leading us in to Christmas. It's the message of Advent because we don't suffer very well by ourselves. It can go really, really bad when we try to suffer by ourselves. We can self-medicate or self-distract, but either way it usually ends with us self-destructing in our suffering when we try to suffer by ourselves. Worse yet, we don't necessarily even do ordinary life very well by ourselves. We can take our coming and going in ordinary life, our ordinary rhythms, and we can twist that, right, into ways to distract ourselves or into ways to honor ourselves or into ways to get ourselves power and control or leverage our greed. We can do that with our ordinary relationships. And then we can turn a blind eye to those who are ordinarily marginalized and ignored by ourselves. And even worse yet, We stink at being with God. We will seek our own way many times instead of God's way. We will seek our own solutions many times instead of God's solutions. We will seek our own answers and our own way out of things instead of God's ways. We reject Him sometimes explicitly and other times at best we just ignore Him. But yet, God comes to be with us. 
Even though we stink, I stink at being with Him, He does not stink at being with us. That's the message of Advent. He comes to be with us. She will bear a son, the angel tells Joseph. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the word that had been spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So even when we stunk at being with God, he came to be with us in a person, Jesus. Surely God is with us. And Jesus in His coming to dwell with us showed that God is with us. And then in His going to the cross, He showed us that God is with us. His relationship with the Father was one of mutual submission. He says, not my will, but yours be done. All to bring marginalized people like me into the kingdom. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness. That's where you were. That's where I was in the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. God is with us. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God. The message of Ruth is the message of the gospel. That although we were sinners, separated from God by our sins and had nothing in and of ourselves to earn His favor or His kindness, He came to be with us. Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. And then those of us in humanity, Instead of welcoming him, hated him, we spit on him, we plucked out his beard, we put a crown of thorns on his head, we put nails into his hands and his feet, and we hung him on a cross. That's how much we stink at being with God. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. (laughs) Come on. That's the message. Of Advent, and he died on that cross, and out of his hands and his feet, that blood came out, and the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all of our sin. The one thing that keeps us from being with God is repaired completely by the finished work of Jesus on the cross, so that we can be present with him as he is present with us. And he raises from the dead, and goes to prepare a place for us, and one day we will be with him forever in heaven. Right now, He is surely with us here. Trust Jesus today if you're not a Christian. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple and you'll be saved. Believe that the finished work of Jesus on the cross is enough to make you right with God and to bring you into the presence of God. Child of God, surely God is with us. And this changes everything. In the coming weeks in Ruth, as we go through this book, we'll see God in the ordinary movements of life. Might we see Him in the ordinary movements of our lives? That God is with us. In the ordinary relationships that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz have, we'll see that God is with them. Here's something super specific. How is this Thanksgiving Weak going to look different because God is with you. 
How will you move towards the dehumanized and marginalized and disregarded because God is with you? And how will you respond to the deepest pain and suffering that you experience because God is with you? In the ordinary rhythms and relationships of life, surely God is with us. And Naomi will testify that this was never more needed than in our suffering. Father, I know it's just an overview of a book, but I pray that the gospel was heard, felt, experienced. Pray that we will know that you are with us today in this place and you are with us tomorrow morning as we go to our jobs or as we're with our children or with our friends, you are with us. And this changes everything. We're going to see Naomi and Ruth and Boaz act differently. And this is a hard sermon to apply because all of our lives are so uniquely different. But the decisions that they make day by day, the actions that they take day by day, the words that they say day by day, the people that they help day by day, the way they lead and the way they follow day by day is influenced wholly by the fact that you are with them. May that be true of us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.